The Acunet Mortgage and Realty Show is sponsored by Acunet Mortgage, an equal housing lender, NMLS ID 255368, and Acunet Realty Advisors, which is a separate company from but still affiliated with Acunet Mortgage. Welcome to the Acunet Mortgage and Realty Show, getting you inside information on buying, selling, and financing your home with expert advice from Acunet Mortgage and Realty's Brian Wickert on WTMJ. And a very pleasant Sunday morning, everyone. Mark Segrist with you uh, to uh, help host the Akin Mortgage and Realty Show. I'm Mark Segrist, along with Akin Mortgage and Akin Realty Advisors, owner Brian Wickert, and Chief Millennial Loan Consultant David Wickert. Now, as always, if you have a question or a comment, give us a call or text us right here at the Akin Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Our number is 414-799-1620. Well, guys, you definitely piqued our curiosity here at the station. And uh, we went online. We're checking out uh, picture Randy Johnson's Arizona mansion, which just went for $7.3 million. And you're, it, it, it's, it's a lot of house, no doubt about it, on five acres, oh, right? My. Paradise Valley. Uh, yeah, yeah, that the is mountain a big scene. house. The mountains behind oh, it, though, beautiful. guys, absolutely gorgeous. But we got to say the context is he was he's had it on the market for twenty five million dollars is where he started out in wow. twenty fourteen. Yeah, he wow. dropped it. Then the most recent listing price was fourteen point something. So he basically fire sailed it. Yeah, you know that seven seven point three sounds like a lot, but it's half. Yes, of what he was asking, and he sold it in in an auction. So that's I just looked up his net worth. He'll be okay. Oh, what is it? One seventy five. Seriously, oh, though, he can take the hit. Uh, seriously, though, I you know I I love the southwestern architecture, but the rooms looked really full. I mean, the rooms were really full of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's, maybe that's why he couldn't sell it. Yeah. So so that just goes to show you that there is no such thing as a a national real estate market, right? That that really ultra high end in in the Phoenix area is way different than what's going on in San Francisco and. Also way different than what we're experiencing here in the Midwest, whether it's southeastern Wisconsin or Chicago or what have you. So um, things shaping the mortgage and real estate worlds uh, today. Uh, This past week, or I should say this past week, the Federal Reserve met on Wednesday and in their announcement and in their press conference had a very dovish uh, statement, basically saying, Dovish or dovish? Dovish. Oh, yeah. Like a dove. I, yeah, I get it. I'm just, okay. Oh, you thought we could pronounce it dovish. Dovish. No, but okay. it's a dove. And uh, as opposed to hawkish, the other bird. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway. Um, Birds only, please. That's right. So anyway, the uh, effect of that was that mortgage rates came down because the Fed said, hey, man, we don't really think we are going to be raising rates, you know, anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So we're taking a break and, you know, don't worry. If you thought we were going to raise rates uh, in the first half of 2019, <laughs> Scratch that off your list. And so stock stock prices skyrocketed mm-hmm. on that news on Wednesday. Normally that's bad for interest rates, but didn't scratch our low-rate fever at all. And then on Friday, however, we also got a smoking hot jobs report. There were 304,000 new jobs created in the economy. Wow. That creates more demand for housing, by the way. And we're going to talk about it a little bit later uh, in the show, David. And wages rose too. So. Oh, how much did wages I, go? Three yeah, percent. I think it was three point one percent. That's that's a number that I thought I heard. 
So um, that did hurt interest rates a tiny bit. But where did we end the week, David, relative to mortgage rates at low overhead Acunet Mortgage? So on a $200,000 loan with 25% equity, uh, Acunet could deliver 4.375%. That's with an APR of 4.4, and that is just with $1,400 in costs. Okay. And that's with 25% equity and all the other right and, stuff? And bu- even better, back on the 15-year, uh, 3.99% with just uh, $990 in cost, APR is 4.1. Right, that's for a straight-up purchase or a refinance, correct? Not for pulling cash out. No. Okay, so then I just ran two other numbers. If you wanted to put uh, 5% down on a $250,000 home... Dad, I thought you had to put 10% down to buy a house. David, you can put as little as 0% down on a 30-year fixed rate if you qualify for the... Huida program. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, for a regular no income restrictions deal on 5% down, 4.375 as well. That APR is just a touch higher at 4.6 because that includes a little monthly mortgage insurance yeah. for the fact that you're not 5%, uh, that you're not 20% down. And then you could even go 3% down, 3, 3% down, no income limit on a loan amount. Uh, I'm quoting here uh, $242,000, but remember, you can put 3% down and buy a $499,000 home because the new 2019 loan limit for our friends at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who we're going to talk about in just another second, is $484,350. That last 50 being really That important. is a very precise number. So the APR with 3% down on a rate of 4.625 is 4.974. Those are really affordable uh, rates. Uh, and the other good news is, despite the fact that 61% of consumers surveyed by Fannie Mae in December thought mortgage rates are going to go up in 2019 Mm -hmm. they are already down folks hear us clearly they are already down and there is nothing on the horizon that gives the interest rate markets a reason to think that they're going to go up fannie mae's most recent forecast is that uh the 30-year fixed rate is going to stay at or around 4.5 not just throughout 2019 but the next year too that's called 2020 so that's a real positive uh, for anybody uh, looking to buy a home in the next couple of years. All right, when we come back though, there's some interesting news um, about privatizing Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the two big giant companies in Washington, D.C. that make 30-year fixed rate loans possible. So that development just happened on Friday, and I'm gonna tell you why you should care a lot about that when we come back. And you're listening to the Academic Mortgage and Realty Show right here on WTMJ. Home buying advice from the guys who know it best. This is the AccuNet Mortgage and Realty Show with Brian Wickert on WTMJ. All right, WTMJ News Time 1017. We are back. And guys, you're about to talk about the potential privatizing of Fannie Mae. Yeah, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Uh, I, I did a which were once private companies on their own. Too. I worked at David. I owned Fannie Mae stock because I was an employee of Fannie Mae wow. back in the day. And yeah, and so what I, I did a presentation at the Elmbrook Rotary Club on Friday, 7 a.m. Thank you very much. Wow. And I started out that by, and I'll do the same thing now. Hey, Mark, and all of our listeners out there, did you know that you're in the mortgage business? It's not just the two guys here, Brian and David, <laughs> that are in, in the mortgage business. Every United States citizen is in the mortgage business up to their elbows because we are 
basically own Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Yeah. Since we uh, put them into conservatorship in 2008 because they were going to go bankrupt because of all the bad loans that they guaranteed. Uh, we injected $187 billion, with a B dollars into Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They have now managed to not only pay all that back to us taxpayers, but some cool negotiator back like in 2011 negotiated a deal where we now as taxpayers also get 100% of the profits from those companies. Sweet. And so we are now up something like $90 billion with a B. And all that money just goes right to the United States Treasury. Hmm. All right, so we are up to our neck in the mortgage business. Also, just remember... FHA loans, Federal Housing Administration, that's government mortgage insurance. So we are also in the mortgage insurance. Same with the VA and the USDA. Excellent point. So we are really heavily as the U.S. government into the um, mortgage business. And there's been talk for quite a while, now years, and various efforts to say, you know what, we should really return Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to being private companies. All right. There's a guy named Joseph Otting, who is the new sheriff of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's regulator, and he told all that he was just appointed in January, mm-hmm. and he told his staff, we are going to reform Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac through administrative decisions. Well, all right, what does that mean exactly? We don't know for sure, but some things that have been bantied about that the FHFA director, the czar, the sheriff of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, can do on his own are to say things like, hey, we're not doing cash out refinances anymore. How does that, you know, help people buy homes in America? It doesn't. We're not going to buy investment property loans anymore. What? What about second homes? What does that have to do, you know, with helping Americans achieve the dream of home ownership? So there are all kinds of things that the sheriff can do on his own. Well, you're making me nervous over here. Okay. Well, as well, you know, we all assume human nature is tomorrow is going to be like today. Yeah. They, what, what, what? The 30-year fixed rate? We've had that for, you know... For forever. 30 years. Why, 40 years. Why, why would that be different? Well, Congress now wants to get reinvolved, and so the head of the Senate uh, Housing Committee is a guy named uh, Michael Crapo, C-R-A-P-O, and he just put out on Friday he, a three-page little outline that says, here's how I think we should reform Fannie and Freddie, because it shouldn't be this guy, Joe Odding, that decides how this is going to get done. A regulator, yeah. Right. It should be Congress that decides. How, well, Congress hasn't been able to figure out how to do it for the last 10 years. But now there's renewed interest in let's reshape this. The bottom line takeaway, I think, I've done some calculating on this, and it goes along with some other things that I've read. If Fannie Mae or when, Fannie, I guess more if, if Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are privatized, the th- rate on the 30-year fixed rate will go up 1%. At least. Right. Because what's going to happen is right now we're the government and we're guaranteeing all these trillions of dollars of mortgages. And what are we getting out of it? All the profits from the company. Yeah. Okay. But now if you're going to substitute that system where you say, hey, private company out there, either maybe one of the current private mortgage insurance companies, uh, and I have no idea if this would actually happen, but uh, one of the private mortgage insurance companies or a brand new company in addition to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac could get into the business of guaranteeing loans because that's what Fannie Mae and Freddie do. They promise the end investor, who might be the State Teachers Pension Fund of Oslo, Norway, that they will get a timely repayment of all their principal and interest payments. Okay? That's the, that's the role that they play, and that's how 30-year fixed-rate loans are possible. And remember, we're the only country in the world that has 30-year fixed-rate mortgages. Um, so anyway, when you substitute private capital in here, they're going to want perhaps a 
better return. And a larger cushion. Yeah. And maybe they're going to charge more even for a 3% down loan. Or maybe they're going to say, we're not guaranteeing that. That's crazy. You know, you got to have at least 5%. So I just did the math. Uh, if this happened on a person putting 5% down on a $250,000 loan, their payment would go up 150 bucks. So that's why you should so, all care. Yeah. And the answer pay is attention buy a house this. now. Exactly. So that's what I told the folks at the Rotary Club, and I'm telling everybody listening today, if you're in the market to buy a home, you're a first-time home buyer, buy that home that you can live in for the next 25 years. Yeah. Because when you go to sell your, quote, starter home and buy the next home five, seven years from now, the mortgage world could be a lot different and probably more expensive. So that's my sermon. When we come back, well, let's talk about how good the condo market was in the five-county Milwaukee metro area last year. You're going to be surprised. You're listening to the Accident Mortgage and Realty Show right here on WTMJ. Getting you into the home of your dreams. Here's more of the AccuNet Mortgage and Realty Show with Brian Weckert on WTMJ. And we continue our discussion with Brian and David, guys. All right. So, um, you know, we talked last week about the uh, housing market 2018, uh, and in particular December, which was a bummer of a home sales month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we talked about the state or the five-county metro Milwaukee area and how that looked for the whole 2018. Well, I did a little deeper dive this morning and here is a you can call me little mr sunshine here the condo more condos sold in the five county milwaukee metro area in 2018 than the all-time record year of 2017 13 more david wow that is easier but hey it's not down okay it's up (laughs) which is incredible um there were 3,856 condos that changed hands in 2018 with the help of a member of the National Association of Realtors. So if there are any for sale by owners, that's the other thing we always got to keep in mind when we're talking about the numbers. market we don't see. That's right, the kind of that invisible market. And we do a lot of for sale by owners. I, I, I don't have the number in my hip pocket, uh, but it seems like a lot. The median condo price in 2018 in the five-county Milwaukee metro area was $168,000. That's up 5.1% or $8,100. Bucks. Hmm. Uh, now, there were fewer listings, but 4,673. So at least there were 750 more listings than there were sales, which means there's still inventory. Uh, but that's good news. Uh, the, on the other side, and it's not horrible news, single-family home sales we're down 2.1%. Okay? No worries. But now I pretended, David, that I wanted to go buy. So well, there's no such thing as even a five-county condo market, right? If, yeah. if I'm in the market for a condo, I said to myself, well, let's pretend I wanted to go buy a condo downtown. Uh, I'm tired of living out here in Waukesha County. And, you know, and your mom and I did this when we did our remodel. Oh, we yeah. had a great time live in downtown for nine months. So let's say we wanted to make that a permanent You want thing. to be a hip east sider. That's right. And I wanted to buy a condo in the city of Milwaukee between four and $500,000. Now, I already told you the answer, okay. David, so you can't give the answer. Oh, but you can say what you said. I said, uh, were how, there how four? Many, yeah, D- David says that there are four condos for sale right now between four and 500,000. What do you say, Mark? Boy, uh, I would just say somewhere in the middle there, somewhere in the middle. Okay, the answer is 10. <laughs> and of those 10 condos between four and 500,000, half of them have been on the market for more than three months. And the other Had half a slim pickings. have been on the market for only three weeks. 
So that's kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, I did the math. The average taxes on those condos that are currently for sale, none of them have accepted offers, uh, was $10,000, which is $833 a month. And then the average uh, condo dues were something like uh, $380. So before you borrow any money, just as an aside, Hmm. to own that condo, you are shelling out $1,213 a month just for to walk in the door. condo dues and property taxes. And by the way, the property taxes were lower than what I expected. For I expected now. them for to now. be more like twelve or fifteen grand, but they were on average 10000 And then the other thing I checked was how many condos in that price range in the city of Milwaukee sold last February. The answer is two. <laughs> so, well, that's not too much. Okay. That, that's okay because two. that means it's a balanced market. We take the number of listings, 10, divided by the number of sales last February, two, and you get a five-month supply of condos. Okay. Anything between three and six months is considered balanced. So there's just a glimpse at the sub-market of uh, condos in the city of Milwaukee. One other quick thing. In Brookfield, actually, condo sales were up a ton last year. They were up 16%. In the city, in Brookfield and Elm Grove, but single-family homes uh, in the this was the three hundred to five hundred thousand dollar price range were down nine percent. So this is just to make the point that there is no such thing as one market. Yeah, right. Even when I'm saying five county Milwaukee metro area. All right. When we come back after the news, we're going to talk about. Let me go down here. How different the market is on the coasts and also in our neighbors to the south in Chicago. Because it's, again, a different market depending on where you look when we come back after the news. Don't break the bank to get into a house. Back to the AccuNet Mortgage and Realty Show with Brian Wickert on WTMJ. We are back with Brian and David. And uh, this portion of the show going to be talking about some comparison real estate guys, huh? Yeah. And uh, at this, uh, you know, it pays to show up and mingle with people. So, so I went to the Rotary Club on Friday and, and made a presentation. I was the featured speaker mm. and talking about real estate. You and got breakfast, too, Turns right? out I got breakfast for free and a mug, uh, which is cool, and, and met a lot of people. Turns out I know a ton of people who are members of the Elmbrook uh, Rotary Club. Rotarians? Is Rotarians, that? okay. that's right. And so uh, one of the fellows there, his son and daughter-in-law live in Los Altos, California. And that is a suburb, if you will, of San Jose. And uh, they are looking to buy a starter home, mid-century. That's called built in the 1950s or 60s. 1,200 square foot, three bedroom, one and a half bath. All right, David, what do you think that might go for in Los Altos? Kind of right there in the in the backyard of Facebook uh, and uh, Google. W- w- Wikipedia says in 2014, the average home listing price was $2 million. Well, that happens to be what you have to pay for a 1,200-square-foot, three-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath. Hard pass. Starter home. Well, but, but rent is four to 5000 to rent, you know, a postage stamp uh, gracious. place. All right, but remember, the average salary at Google is $250,000. So that is a completely different world. Yeah. Right? But, but you know, when I read things, like I was reading a mortgage commentary, uh, when you're out there in the West Coast mm-hmm. or even in um, Seattle area where the market has been superheated in terms of real estate, they're like, well, this this dip in mortgage rates is helping a little bit with buyer traffic. So that is a completely different 
you know, uh, uh, view of the world to what we're seeing in the affordable price ranges like over here in the real world, 250 here in the flyover country of southeastern Wisconsin, where people are, yeah, I got four offers and we had, you know, 10 showings and this sort of a thing. So it is a vastly different market depending on what you're talking about. And that's even true here in southeastern Wisconsin. You know, if you get into the higher price ranges, you know, let's let's say you're 750 and over in general is the high price range in southeastern Wisconsin. That market has a lot more supply and a lot less demand. You're going to be on the market a lot longer. Um, yeah, yeah I just it, let's just say you buy a two million dollar house and you put 25 percent down. Yeah. If your rate moves a quarter, that's 240 bucks. Okay. So it's not nothing, but. But you got to remember, you're probably making a quarter of a million dollars, you know, as a couple. Oh, I'm saying, like, that should be entirely affordable. That rates actually, even when you borrow $1.5 million, a quarter movement in rate ain't making or breaking your budget. Okay. But the problem, I think, for most people is coming up with that half mil. Well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably. Yeah, maybe that's a problem. Um, what else did I want to say about that? Oh, I was on the uh, WBBM Noon Business Hour this past week, and they wanted to talk about new home sales, new construction home sales. That was the genesis of, we need somebody to talk about that, and also how pending home sales were down in December. Yeah. So kind of that yin and yang, because the headline number from, uh, this comes out from the Census Bureau and HUD, was that new construction home sales in November were up 17.7%. Holy cow, is that ever a positive number? And then, you know, the number out of the National Association of Realtors was that pending home sales were down 6%. How could that be? Well, the one thing that is uh, you have to always ask is compared to what, mm -hmm. right? And so the answer for the new construction home sales was compared to October. If you looked at the previous November, the November number was actually down 8%. So what are we talking? Oh, wait, wait. Go one layer deeper, and you find out if you read the press release from the U.S. Census Bureau, the margin of error on the new construction sales is plus or minus, are you ready, 19.9%. You can throw that number right into the trash can. Yes. It doesn't mean anything, but I'll tell you, the number of new construction home sales that they estimated on an annualized basis. So they take November and they say, if we annualized this November number and seasonally adjusted it for the fact that it was November, it comes out to 657,000 new home sales. I'm going to tell you what the real problem is with that number when we come back. All right. And you're listening to the Accurate Mortgage and Realty Show right here on WTMJ. Important home buying questions and answers you can count on. This is the AccuNet Mortgage and Realty Show with Brian Wickert on WTMJ. And we continue our conversation with Brian and David on WTMJ. So we were just talking about new home sales and the fantastic number that came out in November. New home, new construction home sales up 17.7%. That's a baloney number, un, un, untrustworthy because of the margin of error. But the, the takeaway is that the annualized number is 657,000 new home sales per year. So consider this. In the five years, uh, Mark and David, in the five years from 2002 to 2006, builders sold on average, are you ready? 1.1 yes. 1 million homes each year. That's more. That's a lot more. 
Then during the housing recession and the and the great recession of of the whole country, the ten year period from two thousand eight uh, through twenty seventeen, the average number of new homes uh, constructed and sold was only four hundred and forty thousand. Hmm. Wow. That's 60% less than that prior five-year period when there were a lot fewer people in the country, by the way, because that's a long time ago. And then, uh, by the way, the latest number we have for the full year is 2017 when 617,000 new single-family homes and condos were built. That's the problem, folks, is we have a dire shortage of new and especially affordable homes that are being built. And I can't blame the builders, right? They got totally um, smoked, roughed up uh, during the big recession, right? They lost a lot of money, and and now they have limited resources called labor, yeah. right? And materials. Wouldn't you rather build a five hundred thousand dollar home if you're in the construction business than a two fifty? Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. So there's the real pinch. Is and what did you think, uh, David? The new household formations are uh, the Harvard Joint Center for Housing Studies says 1.3 million new households formed per, per year. Per year, and remember now we have to look and see what are rental units that are being created. But this is why there is continued upward pressure on home prices, and I don't really see that abating, uh, because as you've said. And I don't think you made up this term, David. No. Demographics are? Destiny. Destiny. Demographics are destiny. By the way, the other little thing I found out this week is that, according to the U.S. Census, 2019 is the year in which the population of millennials will exceed baby boomers. I've got a, question. I got a question, if I may, in reference yeah, to go that. Ahead. To what degree can you attribute this to the movement of people moving downtown in a more urban environment and lifestyle? Well, I can tell you one thing that I just read up on in California is that uh, people are moving out of California because of the housing affordability, okay, and going to other places like Austin, Texas, and Miami, or whatever. Uh, no, I think, uh, and anyway, uh, the, the point is, okay, people going downtown, well, that's probably going to be t two groups of people. Uh, millennials and people who are retiring. So again, not to sound like a broken record, but at the Rotary Club breakfast that <laughs> I was rubbing elbows with a bunch of people from Elm Grove and, and Brookfield, they were asking me things like, well, what about condominiums? And we've had this discussion before that, you know, it's another layer of risk that you have to look at. And if you want to have a whole primer on that topic, just Google Acunet Mortgage Condos and you'll get my online article that talks all about that. Um, so, yeah, movement from the burbs to the city, you know, depending on the price range and the type of housing, uh, that can drive up prices and drive up demand. Now, the other thing that I wanted to talk about is... I, I was just going to, I mean, to the housing start, you know, issue. Number, yeah. yeah, I mean, part of the problem, it, given that all real estate is local, part of the... Uh, difference between maybe like a Phoenix and a Milwaukee is they're not running out of dirt in Phoenix anytime soon. Correct. As opposed to Milwaukee, it's like there's really not a lot of places to go build a house. Uh, Western Oconomowoc being like right. available. Yep. Yeah, and so people are surprised at how expensive lots cost in southeastern Wisconsin, but I always try to remind people we only have half of the land that a city like Phoenix has, right? Because Nobody's building on Lake Michigan. Not yet. 
<laughs> a floating, floating house coming right. your way. When we come back, I've got a story about appraisals because miraculously appraisals have been hitting values. But I, I, I found out something this past week that I'm not sure everybody listening and maybe not even loan officers or real estate agents realize when it comes to the appraiser's job. I'm going to share that tidbit when we come back. And this is the Accurate Mortgage and Realty Show on WTMJ. Find a place to call home without the headache. This is the AccuNet Mortgage and Realty Show with Brian Wickert on WTMJ. We are back, and Brian, I think you've got an appraisal story for us, right? Yes, I do. And so in the state of Wisconsin, when you sell a home, uh, the seller is required to fill out a form called the Real Estate Condition Report. And you must tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because it asks you a barrage of questions about Hey, do, have you ever had any uh, leaky basement problems? Do you, are you aware of any defects in the roof and the plumbing and the heating and everything under the sun? And so as mortgage lenders, believe it or not, we don't want to know what's wrong with the house, okay? Uh, because some, a lot of times those things are fixed, and we'd rather not stick our nose in there. However, I learned because of this particular situation where we're helping someone buy a home uh, with 3% down, uh, the appraisal came back fine, both on value and also the Fannie Mae appraisal rating. But, uh, but then in underwriting, and, and what I emphasize to the real estate agent and to the home buyer is everybody here is just doing their job. Everybody. Nobody is, is evil. Right. Nobody is being a bad actor here. Everybody is just doing their job. And so the appraiser makes this comment, basement inspection report dated such and such, noted that caulking was needed at the top of the east wall by the rear, blah, 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 to resolve seepage, seepage issues. No major repairs were recommended. This caulking was not completed at the time of the viewing. And then it went on to say, noted also some shingles were missing on the west side of the roof. These shingles had not been replaced at the time of the appraiser's viewing. Neither repair is considered significant and is included in the overall condition. So they're trying to be as nice as possible. But here's the point, and I didn't really realize this, and I confirmed it with an appraiser friend of mine. The appraiser goes on to the multiple listing service website, because they all have access to it, and then they look at the real estate condition report because it's part of the documents that are attached to the listing. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the listing agent had, rightfully, also attached this basement inspection. Because I was asking myself, where did the appraiser get the basement section inspection? I went onto the MLS and I went, ha-ha, there it is. It's part of the listing. Hmm. So the appraiser is obligated, as part of their diligence, to look at whatever's out there on the multiple listing service, whatever inspection reports, and certainly the real estate condition report. Well, so given this information that the appraiser tried to put out there in their report, because they're obligated to do so, in the best possible light, saying there's no major repairs needed, it's all cool, mm -hmm. the underwriter doing her job looked at this and said, you know, I need somebody to go out there and, and finish this caulking that's not done, and we need those shingles replaced. Because of the bad weather, this was all happening uh, over this past weekend. And so people were closed on Monday. We thought we were going to be able to get this taken care of quite easily. It dragged out a little bit. And so what actually ended up happening is this was all coming to a head on Tuesday, which was also the financing contingency date, hmm. meaning we have to give the 
buyer their letter that says your loan is approved. And so this is one of those details where I we'd actually given the buyer their approval letter subject to these two things, finish up the caulking and get the shingles out. Which it sounds like they wanted to do anyway. Exactly, okay. exactly. But ideally, you know, you'd prefer not to give a conditional letter of approval, right? Because you, regardless of what conditions are in the letter, folks, once you give a commitment letter to a seller, you can no longer use the inability to get a loan as a reason to wiggle out of the deal. Right. All right. So long story short, after some discussion with the buyer's agent and the buyer, they rightfully and smartly decided to deliver the conditional loan approval oh. on Tuesday because had they not done so, David, what could the seller have done? Spike the deal. They That's could right. have said, I'm good, thanks. And guess what? They had a backup offer. All the more reason mm, yes. to, you know, take that small amount of risk. And so now, you know, did I mention the devil's in the details? Indeed. In this business? I think I mentioned that just about every week. Yeah. You know, we get the information from the roofer that their work is completed, but they kind of write a sentence that makes me think that maybe there was some damage from the missing shingles. It's like, there isn't going to be any more damage from the missing shingles now that we've made the repair. Any more damage. And what we kind of specifically wanted to hear was that there was no material damage caused by the missing shingles. So, again, it's paying attention to the details, not giving the underwriter more information than is necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we don't want to keep going round and round on this thing. I think it's all going to turn out fine. I agree. But it's it's uh, sometimes just a little bit of a detail missing. Well, and as a buyer, you want your new home to be in good and marketable condition in case you, you know, have to go sell it in the next you know year. Yeah, you get a job transfer to somewhere warm. Cucamonga. (laughs) Yeah, that would be nice. Hey, it's warm here today, David. I'm balmy. All right. So the other two things I told the folks at the Rotary Club that first time home buyers need to pay attention, and this is really any home buyer. Um, Number one thing was. Get a fully verified pre-approval. We'd love to give it to you from Accurate because ours comes with a guarantee because this is all about giving the seller confidence that you can make good on your offer. But even if you decide not to go with Accurate, read the letter. And also I had somebody there say, hey, if I'm selling, because I'm in the you know age now where I want to sell my house in Brookfield mm-hmm. and maybe move downtown, what should I be looking for in offers? Well, my first tip for listing agents and sellers is read the pre-approval letter. Does it match the terms of the offer Right. in terms of the loan amount, the loan type, the interest rate? And then see, does the letter say they only checked the credit? Well, that's crummy because all the surprises come up uh, relative to income and down payment. Credit's easy. Um, although credit score is becoming more and more important. We'll talk about that on next week's show because we uh, th- that's becoming a more important issue. All right. All you got to do to get yourself a rock solid, guaranteed, fully verified pre-approval or a no social security number required refi checkups, click on the blue button at acunet.com and we'll take care of you. We couldn't make it any easier, Mark. That's all the time we got for today's show. We'll see you back here next week. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you so much for your helpful advice this morning. WTMJ News time is 10.58. The proceeding was a paid program. Advice and opinions expressed during the Acunet Mortgage and Realty Show are solely that of the hosts or guests of Acunet Mortgage and Acunet Realty Advisors and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.